Welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker, a professional vocalist, vocal coach, and a lead singer of the Mighty Untouchables Band. I'm also the producer and host of the Pandemic Proof Singer Summit and The Unstoppable Singer. The Unstoppable Singer follows the lives of real professional singers who've made incredible achievements in their lives and careers. We cover everything from voice work, making money, booking gigs, songwriting, recording, session work, and more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another podcast. Now on with the show. As one of LA's first call session vocalists for 25 years, Gerald White can be heard in over 200 film and television projects from Frozen to Glee, X-Men, and Avatar. His studio experience is matched by live singing appearances with industry greats such as Hans Zimmer, Adele, Lady Gaga, Justin Timberlake, and for events like the Academy Awards and Game of Thrones Live. Uh, He has provided vocals on albums for artists like Whitney Houston and uh, to Paul McCartney. Gerald holds an MA and BA in jazz and commercial music, chairs the singer committee at SAG-AFTRA, and is certified at the Institute for Vocal Advancement, where he runs a private vocal studio in Santa Monica, Santa Monica, California. His expertise as a session singer, artist, and voice teacher is what uh, undergirds his ear as a producer. Gerald's deep um, passion lies in bolstering his students to sing with freedom as they do uh, to realize their dreams. So without further ado, let me bring on Gerald. Hello. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Oh, my gosh. It's so great to see you. This this interview has been a long time coming. We've been trying to set this up for a while. I know. I know. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're finally making it happen. And you know, I, uh, we have not ever personally met, but I definitely know you through the singing community from San Diego all the way up through LA as the it guy to go to for sight singing lessons. Um, everybody just act absolutely sings your praises, um, when it comes to that, but I don't know a ton about your career. So tell me what, um, aside from, you know, what we've heard in your bio, what the day in the life of Gerald White looks like these days? Um, so I do a couple of different things. Like I teach the sightseeing classes. I actually had my last class today of this year. Nice. Um, and I teach three levels of that class. And then I teach voice lessons and then I do sessions. So it's kind of a split in three pieces mm-hmm. depending on, you know, what, what the season is and, and how much session work is going on. But I teach pretty consistently throughout the year, both voice and the sight singing classes. Great. Yeah. So sight singing is quite the discipline for, for a singer. And uh, at least in, in the arena that I'm involved in, um, it's always a little bit of a touchy subject because there's you know quite a few of us that have been through schooling and, you know, been uh, educated in that um, arena, but then those that are more self-taught. So why don't we step back in your journey and go back to how you got started and what led you into this um, pathway today? Did you come from a musical family? I came from a musical family. My mom and dad were musical. None of my brothers Mm -hmm. were musical. Mm -hmm. I guess my oldest brother played guitar a little bit and sang, but I have three older brothers. Mm-hmm. And my mom and dad played, both played piano and both sang. And so I was around it a lot. My dad mm-hmm. would listen to albums and I would go and sit with him and listen to albums when I was a kid. 
And then I grew up in church, which is where I learned to sing and play the piano. It was mm-hmm. kind of the church background, so to, so to speak. And then I went to Mississippi College and got a um, degree in classical piano. I was, I was literally setting out to be a concert pianist. Okay. That was kind of my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember playing the last chord on my senior recital and thinking, you know, I can't practice eight hours a day the rest of my life. This is just <laughs> not, not who I am, really. Yeah. Um, and then I headed to L.A. to study jazz and commercial music and to get in the session business. Mm-hmm. So when I got here, you know, when you, you're getting started, you're doing every little thing that comes along. Just I was told to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. One of those yeses was um, I took a sight singing class to mainly just to kind of meet other singers because I heard that's sort of where they gathered was this class. Mm-hmm. And the guy that taught it at the time uh, retired about two years after I started taking it. And said, do you want to teach this? And I was thinking, you know, I didn't really come to L.A. to teach sight reading, but why not? You know, I was, I was saying yes to everything. So I started out teaching two classes with two or three people in each one. And that was uh, 19 years ago. Mm. So it was a slow process. I just put my all into it and realized that that was kind of a... Um, one of the most important things we needed as a session singer, which I was also trying to get in and had not gotten in yet. And so we had to have the skill to be able to walk into a session and read the music down. So I, through the years of teaching, tried to figure out what it was that was the roadblock for singers because some of the singers would come into the class and have a degree in music. Some of them would be from Juilliard or or different schools like that. But for some reason, when you put the music on the table in front of them to actually sing something, it's Mm -hmm. different than like sight reading piano or sight reading with an instrument. Um, And even if you're a phenomenal singer, the the act of just looking at the music and just singing it down the first time was was a skill. So I tried to find out what those roadblocks were and just got fascinated with the process and started doing a lot of research and now the class built up to, you know, I'd have 25, 20, 25 people in each class pretty mm-hmm. consistently the last couple of years. Yeah. Mm, that's awesome. So I, I definitely, I want to talk about some of those roadblocks, but um, I'll get really vulnerable here for a minute because as a professional singer, um, I was a vocal performance major mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I would say my biggest test in sight singing came when I was auditioning for our university choir. And I remember going through this audition with, with the university choir director and going through the sight singing exercises and watching the look on his face. And it was clearly a look of disappointment and skepticism. And so I'm sweating bullets throughout this uh, audition And at the end of the audition, he says to me, you barely just passed this test. Oh, yes. He says, you know, you you have enough skill level, you know, to be a part of the group, but you just barely passed this test. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is definitely an area that you need to focus on, you know, throughout the rest of your schooling. And that was such a impactful moment in my entire, you know, musical education. And, um, 
it stayed for me with me for so long. And I, I'd have to say throughout the rest of my degree work, like I didn't, I didn't have the discipline to really, really, you know, laser focus on that. But coming out of school, as I've progressed, you know, as a professional singer, mm-hmm. um, there hasn't been and in, you know, a ton of times where I've been required to sight sing something on the spot. So I think for me, it ended up being a use it or lose it type um, skill. Right. But there's always been those sessions and those, you know, levels of work that I would love to, you know, rise to, but now have such a, a you know, a deep insecurity around my skill level. You know, do you find that to be the case with a lot of people that come to your courses? I do. And the main thing that you have to do, or and I've noticed with my students is, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but you have to just do it, meaning you've got to get in groups that require it. Mm. So you can take theory classes in college all the time. And a lot of times they teach you all these basic principles like intervals and stuff like that. But mm. even with that knowledge, even knowing your key signatures, even knowing what a whole note is and where A is and all that, the act of actually having to read it is the most crucial part. Mm-hmm. And so I always recommend to singers, get in a group somewhere, even invite friends over on a regular basis. There's groups in LA that do this where you have six people, eight people, they all meet at somebody's house. They have a glass of wine. They pass around some music and just dive in and start, you know, it's like jumping in the pool and learning to swim. I think that's, that's one of the pieces that's missing, I think, is not really knowing how to practice and thinking that you can take a lot of courses when this is such an interactive sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. something you, it's hard to teach online. It's hard to teach over Zoom. It's something you have to be in a group of people and be forced to do kind of live. You know, in a live right. Sport. Right. You said, that- you said one thing earlier about, um, the vulnerable part, this, this was probably 10 years ago. I went for an audition for a choir in town. <clears throat> I knew the director. He's, we had worked together for years. All I could think of was that he in his head was thinking that I teach this. That's all mm-hmm. I could think about. So even knowing how to sight read and this music was not even that hard, but when I picked it up, I get in my head, which is another mistake that we make as singers. We just start, the fear settles in and your heart starts. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. I, you know, I should be able to do this. And I can't even think of what key this is. It was just. <laughs> and so I had to remind myself, what are the steps? Don't be fearful. Just be bold. Mm-hmm. And, you know get back and get back centered. So we, we really psych ourselves out on this whole sight reading thing a lot more than is necessary. I think. Yeah, that's true. I've found, I have found myself in many sessions in the past walking into it thinking, Oh my God, are we going to have to sight sing? Right. Who else is going to be there? Am I going to be the worst reader in the entire room and completely humiliate myself? And you know, I definitely would like to work towards not putting myself in that position or like, you know, developing the skills better um, to be able to handle it. But it's good to know that even someone at your level also <laughs> kind of struggles well, we with all, that. We all have those times. And it's not a matter of, of 
being perfect. I always tell my students in every class, it's mm -hmm. not about you being perfect. It's not about you taking the music and not missing a note. The whole idea is so the director doesn't have to teach you the part. Yeah. You can get sent the music the night before and you can learn it. Or you can go into a rehearsal or a session and know enough about it that two or three times through you're going to get it figured out. So it's not about it's not about the perfection part as much as it is knowing how to get through it and how to learn it mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. somebody teaching you. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, <clears throat> too, that a, a real key in this is just the doing of it and kind of immersing yourself in situations where um, you've just got to be either doing it on the fly or doing it in a fun environment where you can just keep kind of continually exploring it. And it seems like it's so similar to learning a new language. Uh, because you you pick up those the fundamentals of it, but until you're putting yourself in conversational situations, that's really that's really where you pick up the meat and bones of the you know of the skill. Exactly. Yeah. Was, that's why it was so good after COVID to get back into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Because if there's a synchronicity that happens with a group of people. You sort of lean on each other and you learn from each other, and different people point out things that work for them and tricks. We're all, we all have a bag of tricks that help mm -hmm. you get through it unless you have perfect pitch, which is rare. So right. Right. Being a, doing it live definitely helps. Yeah. I know that um, one thing that I have noticed in the singer community, and this is, this is probably not, um, not as relevant for, you know, students who are maybe still making it through their, you know, beginner or their college years. But once you've actually begun singing as a professional singer, there is so much um, pressure to kind of prove yourself amongst your peers and prove that you're a real professional and you know what it is that you're doing. And sometimes it's really hard to maybe, um, you know, at least uh, going back to the vulnerability place, being vulnerable, vulnerable enough to ask questions when you aren't sure and right. kind of look for that mentorship because, you know, we, we want to, give the appearance that we know what we're doing. Do you find that that's common amongst singers that just kind of maybe holds them back from getting the real skill level that they need? Absolutely. And you yeah. have to ask questions. You have to realize that it really is the session world, at least the way I've experienced it is it's a community and everybody's mm -hmm. rooting for each other. It's not as competitive to me as I would think auditions for like a, a Broadway show or, or something mm -hmm. of that nature. It's it's literally you're working as a team on most projects. Yeah. And you're really pulling for each other. So yes, ask the questions, ask for help. Everybody's been where you are at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know, and I'm 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 definitely I'm preaching to the choir here. It seems like you know, when you do get your in a situation and maybe you aren't the highest skilled level, you know, musician or singer in the room, when you do open yourself up to being moldable, teachable, directable, you know, you, you're, you're giving yourself such an incredible opportunity to learn and excel from people who, uh, you know, have been in the business longer than you or have had more experience. Um, and it, and I, my experience has been that, uh, 
musicians, highly skilled musicians, they want to teach. They want to give that information out and, you know, really help and mentor. Right. I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to ask and you have to, you know, you don't, it doesn't really hold you down or put you in a lower place if you don't know something. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So a, a lot of our um, listeners are beginner level singers and those kind of emerging into the business, trying to find their way into the business. So if you don't mind, can you kind of give us um, a basic understanding of, you know, what, what sight singing is and what applications you might um, apply this to? Like what, what streams of income would require you to have this kind of skill level, maybe a different couple different scenarios? Um, well, the first one, I think, and the, the biggest one, I think, is, is the session world. Mm -hmm. So as being hired as a session singer to come in and especially on the reading required gigs like film gigs and TV gigs where um, you'll have anywhere from 20 to 30 pieces of music to record in four hours or three mm -hmm. hours. So those gigs are so kind of coveted mainly because they're SAG-AFTRA and they're union and you're under contract for the day and then you get residuals for as long as that movie or that TV show plays. And it mm -hmm. could be like The Simpsons or Glee or some of those shows that play for 20 years, 30 years. So it's high pressure and it's it's required because you literally can't go in and just read it down. There's mm -hmm. no there's no rehearsal at all. That's one scenario. The other scenario is like I would say things like ringers for churches. Mm -hmm. Also ringers for some of the community choirs have, you know, a paid tenor, a paid alto or soprano that are required to be able to read. And those are you know, they're being paid when the other people are not. Mm -hmm. So that's another example like that. Okay. And yeah. And maybe other choral situations, master chorales and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I were to take 50 singers that came in and they're new in town, mm -hmm. the five or 10 singers that read will automatically go to the top of the list, even if they're not the most talented one, mm. unless, you know, they need a solo of, an R&B singer or a classical singer even, but it's just a solo and you have the music ahead of time. That's kind of a different story. Mm -hmm. And why do you say, why would you say that they go to the top of the list? Is it because they, they're they just able to get in and get the job done quicker? It takes less guidance? It takes less guidance. It saves time and money. Uh -huh. So that's what the studios are kind of operating on. You know, let's get in, let's get out, let's get, you know, do it the fastest we can and the cheapest we can. So who who are these people that can help us accomplish that? Right. Okay. All right. So would you say for um, a singer that maybe has not had formal education in music, maybe they're just they're just naturally gifted using their voices. Maybe they jumped into um, working with a band or just picked up you know opportunities uh, uh, beyond um, having that formal education. Um, is sight singing 
where you would start or would you re recommend that um, a singer start with um, some instrumental lessons, piano, guitar, or can they jump right into sight singing? You can jump right into sight singing, but I, it never hurts to learn an instrument because when you're mm -hmm. sight reading, you're visualizing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you see intervals on the paper. Most people are visualizing a keyboard, a piano. Mm -hmm. so most of the good readers have some recognition of the piano and the keyboard so they can picture it in their head. It's right. also possible to do it, you know, with just jumping in. It's a little bit longer process, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, for a more beginner level singer that um, finds you and finds your coursework, what is the timeline that, uh, they could expect to, you know, walk through just from beginning to maybe a level of, you know, that you would say a proficient level. How long does something like that take? I would say uh, if, if I take a singer that has no theory knowledge at all, mm -hmm. a singer that comes in, that's a great singer and you have a great ear and you have no theory knowledge. My goal is in six classes that you you can figure it out and do it correctly. Doesn't mean it's fast. So that means somebody that comes in and they're learning theory by week six, they can take a simple melody. They can tell you the key. They can tell you what note to start on. They can figure out the rhythm and it may take them a while, but they know the basics to actually produce. Mm -hmm. Now kind of answer your question, how long to be proficient? If you've started from the very beginning, I would say probably two to three years. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're doing it consistently, mm -hmm. that's not like just doing it one hour a week. But you know, I I have, I would say in the big picture, I have, I don't know, it's it's hard to come up with a number, but a smaller number of people that just they put a hundred percent in. You know, it's not a it's not a matter for them of just being able to understand it and do it. It's a matter of them with them to be able to, to do it and do it well so that they can work and compete and, you know, have the other jobs in town. Mm -hmm. So those were the ones, though, that literally they take every class. They do stuff online. They get with other singers and practice regularly. They join a choir. Anything that requires them to read and they just put their heart and soul in it. And I've seen some people, but it takes from the beginning. That's if you come in with no knowledge, a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. Um, I want to dig more into your background, but I, I want to stay, uh, you know, with your coursework here uh, for just a few more minutes. Um, <clears throat> what, what are the various levels that you offer? And um, I was curious, before you answer that question, have you always offered this coursework online or was it almost always in person before COVID? Did that, did the no. online business start after COVID? <laughs> uh, no, it started, I, I've been doing, uh, I guess, 19 years now, 18, 19 years. Mm -hmm. And I would say halfway through that, that time period, I had a lot of my students in class who were touring artists. Mm -hmm. And so they'd go on the road singing for Phil Collins or for, Barry Menlo or whoever, and they're wanting to learn the skill and that they couldn't be here all the time. And they kept saying, is there anything you can offer for us? Mm -hmm. So I started putting together YouTube videos and 
sending it to them or giving them links so they could go online and just watch them. And they it, it became pretty popular. So then I started thinking, well, you know, why not just create a whole program and make it to where somebody can enroll and go through the whole process? Yeah. So I spent maybe two years building it and wrote a book. Um, and then it, and it sort of took off. It took a while. It sort of took off later, mm-hmm. but it's, it covers like on this online program, it covers everything from rhythm to melodies, to dictation, to name that tune. There's a whole, there's about 600 pages on the website. Wow. Wow. Did you see a big um, surge in interest in this during COVID times when people had a little bit more time on their hands? I did. And it was, it was kind of frustrating because like I've told you, it's hard to do, it's hard to do online. Yeah. You know, you can deliver the information, but when it comes time to have, like you want the singer to sing so you can tell them if they're doing it correctly or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's software that can actually do that, like smart music and a couple of different things. But it's still not the same as having someone with you, mm-hmm. coaching you through the process. And that's the main thing is, are you doing it right or not? You can guess all day while you're just looking at the music. But how do you know if you're hitting the notes correctly? So sure. because of that missing link, because we couldn't be together, it was hard you know, to do it. I got a lot of interest. I actually taught um, three online classes during COVID, but it became more of kind of games actually, just because of the limitations of being online. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of juggling that went on during that time, trying to figure out lots of call and response. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I went ahead and I I posted your link tree um, in the comments so that everybody can find you and your courses. You mentioned that you just finished uh, the last courses of the year. What is coming up next year? So I'll start again in January. We've moved our location from SAG-AFTRA just because they've, they're still kind of technically closed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the staff's working, but the building's really not accessible, you know, mm-hmm. for classes and stuff like that right now. So I've moved the location to Santa Monica. We have a new space. I'll start that the third week of January. Mm-hmm. And there'll be two classes for now. It's, there's an advanced class, and then there's a beginner slash intermediate class. Okay. Okay. They run six weeks at a time. Great. Mm -hmm. And the, the online coursework, is that something that's kind of evergreen that someone could take at any time or is it usually a live instruction? Um, they could take it anytime. Okay. And it's structured to where it tracks their progress. Most of the videos are four minutes long or so. Mm -hmm. So it's just short things. I encourage people to do you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. The consistency of daily work is the best as opposed yeah. to sitting down for two hours and becoming overwhelmed. Great. Awesome. Well, again, I did put the link tree uh, link in the comments. So um, I highly, highly recommend everybody check into it. I- I've literally been on your website probably 20 million times now, but um I will, I will make that a priority in my schedule here soon, but I'm just, I am so excited to, um, you know, explore your coursework. That'll be amazing. And maybe you can come take the class sometime. 
I would love that. Yeah, I'm in San Diego, so I'm not too far oh, away. Yeah. But that's a little ways. Yeah, I'll make the trip. It's all good. <laughs> so um, I, I definitely I want to dig into your um, your journey as as a musician and singer a little bit more. Tell me about um, where you were at when you came out to LA. What was it that prompted you to come out to LA? Did did an opportunity present itself or did you just kind of have a vision for the future and knew this is where you needed to be? You know, growing up, I heard the commercials on TV and, and back then they were, they were full songs, mm -hmm. you know, and like the Cheerios commercial or the, the be all that you can be, you know, all these, all these, I can still remember all the songs and I used to tell my mom, I want to do that, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it was called. Hmm. You know, I just knew that I wanted to do those voices that came on TV. So then I went to college, kind of shifted direction because I didn't really know how to get to that. And then when I, my senior year in college, a friend of mine and I found this book. I don't know how that book got there on this jazz school. It was Grove School of Music here in, in Los Angeles. And in the book, it talks about the commercial music world, hmm. which is basically instrumentalists. You know, it was the, my teachers were the bass player on The Tonight Show or the, you know, Henry Mancini was my arranging teacher for a little while. So mm -hmm. there were like industry people teaching the classes that were out actually out there doing the work. And mm -hmm. so we both said, you know, we've got, we've got to figure out how to go out there and see if we can get into school. So I came to audition and I got in, finished that, and then moved to Nashville for two years playing with a country band, with a rock band. Ah. I tried to do the on the road thing. Mm -hmm. I'm didn't really work for me. I'm really not a fan of that, that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. and came back to LA and just went for it. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And um compared to then how do you see the industry nowadays? Do you see a lot of changes in um what, you know, the work that was available then versus now? Um the main difference is the internet. Hmm. So, you know, when I moved to LA, there was, you know, we didn't have email yet or anything. Mm -hmm. So to find these, there was a small group of people, I would say 40 main singers that did all of the work for film, <laughs> Excuse me. film and TV and, and albums. It's the same people, the same people that would sing on Michael Jackson's album, mm -hmm. would be singing for the Oscars or would be singing for a classical choral gig. Mm -hmm. It's literally the same group. They were that versatile. It was really hard to get in and it was hard to find out who they were, mm. you know, how to get to these people that were doing this work because it's kind of closed community. Fast forward to now with the internet, with social media, with streaming, with hundreds of TV shows and hundreds of, you know, venues for movies and stuff like that. They need more singers, but there's more singers that they have access to. Mm, yeah. So now that many, many, many more people have an opportunity to do the work, it's less work for more people. Oh, okay. That I makes sense. I kind of see it that that's the way it's changed the most. Where before, I guess the generation even before me, 
they worked two and three jobs a day, literally. Mm -hmm. It sometimes had limos to carry them from one job to the other. It was that, mm -hmm. that lucrative at the time. Wow. Now it's, you know, they can, if they want a, a Hispanic singer, they find, you know, Hispanic person to do it. They don't call whoever the session person is and say, here, I want you to sing the Spanish song. Does it make sense? So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, if they need a yodeler, they find somebody that's the real deal. And they can have they can find that easily because of the internet. So right. it spread the work from being such a central group, literally worldwide now, because you can record from home. So many, many, many more people have the opportunity, but I think the work is much harder now because if you want to make your living only on that, then it's it's hard to do. Right. Yeah, it really is kind of a double-edged sword because it's definitely leveled the playing field and the opportunity. Yes. So those that aren't necessarily in metropolitan cities like, you know, LA, but even, even you're uh, someone out in the Midwest or something kind of has the opportunity to latch on to some of this work as well. But those that have been in the industry and have, you know, um, <clears throat> done all the networking, laid all the groundwork, that's probably, um, thin things out, you know, uh, a bit for them. So I can see, you know, how that goes both ways. Oh Yeah. yeah. What would you say, um, as a professional in the business, what are some of the maybe daily habits or some of those soft skills throughout the years that have been key in, you know, becoming a successful professional for you? Um, one of the main things is, you know, you've always heard it's who you know. Yeah. It's another kind of cliche thing. But when I first got here, I was, I've always been on the quieter side, just more laid back personality. So I'm not the aggressive, you know, listen to me. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. If I had it to do over, I would, I would do more of that and I would do it a lot sooner. Um, so you know, I had always heard, you need to go to the parties, you need to go to the events, you need to join SAG-AFTRA, you need to join, find out what's the popular groups in town and become a member of those groups. I would tell any new singer that those, those connections are what's going to carry you through the business. Yes, you need to be talented. Yes, you need to practice every day, keep your voice up. So that when you're called on immediately, you may be the next day. You don't have time, you know, to work for two weeks to get ready for it. Right. Um, but to me, those are kind of the understood, just given circumstances of staying healthy, physically healthy, mm -hmm. practicing voice every day, singing a lot. But most importantly, you have to stay connected. Mm -hmm. Singers refer singers. Just like I've heard of you, you've heard of me. We've never actually met mm -hmm. because people talk, you know, in the community. It's even though it's a huge world, it's a small circuit. You know, people know who other singers in town are. And that's it's, it's really that connection that keeps you going and keeps moving you up. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And that is something that, you know, at the Unstoppable Singer, that's something we talk about constantly oh, yeah. is nurturing those relationships out there 
um, you know, not, not just so that you can get ahead, but really, um, forging a genuine place in the community, you mm. know, and being, you know, a helpful member of the community, being someone who's really contributing, who's supporting other musicians in the community, because it's not, it, it really isn't just who, you know, but it is, do those people actually like you and do they enjoy working with you? Yeah, that's right. You know, do you show up prepared and <laughs> can you, are you dependable? Exactly. Don't burn. Yeah. yeah, it is all of those things. Um, <clears throat> what would you say uh, when you were starting out um, really in this professional arena, maybe in the LA area, what were some real like breakthrough moments for you? What were some of the bigger gigs that came along that, um, you know, were kind of uh just wow moments for you i guess the biggest wow moment um would be glee for me mm -hmm. and the way that story happened again kind of who you know i was i was 19 and i was at a um christian artist competition in colorado mm -hmm. in estes park colorado and i was from Mississippi and a friend of mine, Tim Davis, was from Texas. We ended up in a dorm room together. There was five guys. And so you're there for a week and you're competing to see whoever wins gets an album deal and all this kind of stuff. So I met this group of guys, Tim being one of them. And, you know, we kind of hit it off that week, but we didn't really stay in touch after that. Mm -hmm. So fast forward 15 years later, I'm on a on a, one of my very first sessions in LA and Tim is standing beside me. Wow. And he, we looked at each other and we were like, gosh, don't I know you? Where do I know you from? Mm -hmm. You know, traced it back to that week. And I, because of that, um, just the connection alone, just for the fact that we had known each other and spent that time together. Um, it kind of bonds you in a weird way, pretty quickly to somebody that you just met, so to speak. Sure. And he said, I need a tenor. He was new to LA as well. He had been in Nashville for a long time. He said, I need a tenor for this new show coming up. Um, would you be willing to come do the part? One of the voice parts for tenor part. And I was like, of course I'll do it. I didn't know. We didn't know what Glee was at the time. Mm -hmm. Went and sang on that those sessions and ended up working on every episode for six years. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. And another weird part of the, how that all worked was three or four months before that day, I met, saw him on this gig. I was asked to do demos for this show that I didn't know about this. Some, some show we need you to come in and do all the Steve Perry, you know, journey, don't stop believing all the demos for the show so they could shop the show mm -hmm. to the producers to see if somebody would pick the show up. So I went in and did all those demos. So that as well helped not even knowing what this was for, but because I had done that when it came time to choose singers for the show, mm -hmm. you know, since I had done that, it absolutely you know, helped a lot. So that was one of the situations where again, saying yes, everything yes just be heard be nice don't burn bridges and everybody everybody you meet along the way and 
every every circumstance is going to take you to the next one. But Glee, Glee was my best, my best wow moment, I guess I would say. That's such a great story. I love that. I love those stories so much because it's always so remarkable to me how those teeny tiny little seeds get planted so far back. Mm -hmm. And it, it really does prove the point that you're making that um, every, every gig that you do counts. Every connection that you make counts. Nothing is too big or small, but that you have to be in a constant state of, you know, integrity and, and caring about what it is that you're doing and always doing your best because you absolutely have no idea what that could manifest into, you know, oh. in your future and connect you to in the future. Absolutely. You have no idea. Yeah. And I'm sure you have many other opportunities that have come your way just under similar circumstances. Oh, yeah. And you don't know at the time what those are going to turn into. Right. Mm -hmm. and yeah. so it doesn't matter what it is you're doing, whether it's a $50 demo for mm -hmm. some person that you don't even know, that you have to drive down to, to Macula to do it, you know, right. and doing it in their garage. You don't know with which which one of those gigs is going to turn out to be something that may even buy your house. It's pretty amazing. That's right. That's right. And even when you're in your, uh, you know, maybe beginner days or, or, you know, currently, if you're currently a professional, just treating the people around you, you know, with respect and gratitude and, you know, staying, staying in touch and also kind of staying um, supportive of the things that they're doing because, down the road, a memory will spark for them in a moment's time, you know, to, to throw your hat in the ring, you know, for something or to bring up your name. And uh, all it takes is just being, you know, a good character out there in the community. Um, but what's even, you know, more amazing is how little it takes to mess that up well, for yourself. Exactly. So <laughs> It happen. I've seen it happen. Yeah. Simple, very simple things of being late. Being late. Saying saying the wrong comment during a session. Mm -hmm. You know, being somebody that's kind of annoying to be with, like on a live gig. Yeah. Those don't, they don't stay around very long at all. Being unprepared. I mean, just yeah. just about anything. So it's every single one counts. Yep. That's yeah. oh man, that's such a great lesson. Um. As we kind of uh, bring the train into the station here, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of something new to the show that I'm asking everybody, is what makes you unstoppable? Uh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I think for me is never thinking that you arrive. Ah, yes. Kind of like through life, mm -hmm. you know, when you're young, you think there's there's somewhere I'm going to get, you know, one day I'll be this and one day I'll be this and, and I'm an adult. And then but you realize that you don't really it's all about the journey. You never really get there. You're always mm -hmm. going to the next place. So in the music, I feel that that's the most crucial for me is to never get comfortable. So I don't regardless of what job I'm in, whether it was the glee at the time you know, so many years ago, or if it's my choir, my local community choir, which I sing in, or any situation that comes along, I don't get comfortable and think, okay, this is it. This is all I need. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking, okay, what's next? 
who else, you know, what else can I do? Where else can I put myself out there? How can I um, reinvent myself, stay relevant? You know, even though I'm older, I, you know, I'm, com I hate to say we're competing, but there's the new guy coming into town constantly. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I, I, I guess not getting comfortable keeps me moving forward. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. I absolutely love that so much. Gerald, thank you so much. It was, uh, this time flew by, but it was great chatting with you. I'm so glad that we finally um, made this happen. I'm so glad to uh, put your information out into um, this community so that everybody can discover the coursework that you're doing, because I cannot tell you the I mean, countless times that your name has come up in conversation and um, just everybody just raves about working with you. So I really hope to have the same opportunity in the future. And um, in the near future, I would love to have you uh, on one of our summits to, you know, bring the work that you do um, onto the summit. But thank sure. you so much for, you know, your, your time tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. If you love this conversation as much as I did and would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with The Unstoppable Singer and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at Unstoppable Singer. And while you're there, please share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Unstoppable Singer. Once again, I'm Danielle Tucker, a professional singer and vocal coach. I've spent the last 25 years crafting a successful career for myself in the music industry and showing other aspiring singers how to do the same. The world needs your voice now more than ever. So get out there and create an unstoppable career. Thanks so much.